All right, so if you can go with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we'll get right into the word. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And if you have it with me, say, I got it. All right, I hear some of you got it, so we're getting ready to go. Mark 1, verse 35. The word of God says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Where he what? Prayed. Okay. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Some versions say, let's go. Hence our theme. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Everywhere Jesus went, there was healing, there was deliverance, and demons ran away. Ha! The name of Jesus and demons can't be in the same place. Can I get an amen on that? That's the authority Jesus has. That's the authority you and I have. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask a couple of questions regarding this passage. The first one is, what wakes you up early in the morning? What wakes you up early in the morning? I want to submit to you that the answer is purpose. Purpose wakes you up early in the morning. For Jesus, it was a heart for the lost, a, a compassion for those who did not know him. For Jesus, it was to be sure he was about his father's business. He was so lost in the purpose of God that at 12 years old, he actually got lost in the temple. Where are you? Well, I have to be at my, my father's business. It was clear, very clear what he was all about and where he needed to be. Here we find him early praying in the presence of the father, seeking wisdom, seeking strength, seeking directions or instructions for what is the next thing that is about to be. How will you learn the heart of the Father if you do not spend time with the Father? What wakes you up in the morning? It should be purpose. And let me give you one if you maybe do not have one. It is actually pretty simple. The lost are dying and Jesus is coming soon. It's not very deep theologically, but it is what the Word of God says. The lost are dying and Jesus is coming soon. Preach while we can. So I want to encourage you to open your heart this week. Open your, your mind. Let the Spirit of God speak to you so there is a purpose and an urgency that gets inside of you for the lost. That it would wake you up in the morning. That it would make you do something. That it would make you leap out of your bed. What am I doing? What do I have to do? That's what moved Jesus. I pray it's what moves us. Second question, are, are you willing to be interrupted? Say with me, interrupted. In, the, in this passage, Jesus is, has just finished an incredible time of, of healing in the city of Capernaum. In that place, probably after service, Simon asked, can you pray for my mother-in-law? And he went and prayed, and she got healed. And that sparked a little bit of a revival. And so people started bringing hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus, and he would heal them. 
So this entire day from one healing became almost like a healing crusade. And it was awesome. And it was a lot of work. And I bet you Jesus was, physically speaking, tired. So he goes to bed, but then he says he left early. He left early. And he went to pray, probably to refuel. How many of you know we need to refuel in the presence of God? How many of you know we need those alone times with Jesus so that we can be with him? He's modeling for us spiritual disciplines of solitude, of 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 silence, of prayer, of fasting, just, just those, those times that we need to be with the Father. And even though he's having that great moment, probably quiet, you know, we don't know, it's early in the morning, he gets interrupted by Simon, Simon Peter. Okay, he's Simon at this point, not yet Peter. He's like, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. You know, and Jesus is so compassionate, he didn't get upset. He could have said, I'm trying to pray. Can you please give me a minute? I'm having my time with the Father. He could have gotten really serious. I am having my devotions with the Father. But no, he, he's not like that. He's, he's down to earth. He said, you know what, let's get up. And it actually says that he got up. And instead of going to the place where Peter is asking them to go, or Simon... He actually says, let's go, let's go somewhere else. There's something else. It's an assignment that we have to do. It's different. It's different. And I'm glad Jesus got up because that opened an incredible opportunity for ministry. He says, we got to go to the other villages. He shifted his direction. No, we're not going back to that healing revival we had. It was awesome. We had a great time. Church is good. How many of you church is good? Church feels awesome, and I love it when we gather, and I like it when we're here at Faith and doing our thing. But sometimes we need an interruption. Sometimes we need a change of course. Sometimes we need to get a little bit uncomfortable to go find and see what God is doing. And so for Jesus and for Simon, it's like, no, 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 we got to go. There's other people waiting for us. And so there's this divine interruption. I believe some of the most powerful moments in the ministry of Jesus were interruptions. When he's having dinner and that woman comes and, 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 and washes his feet. When he's walking in towards somewhere else and a lady comes and touches him. The lady with the issue of blood and she gets healed. So many interruptions. Are you willing to be interrupted, church? Are you willing to be interrupted? Man of God, woman of God. Would you allow God to come and maybe mess with your perfect schedule, with your perfect plans, so that he can do his will through you? What if God calls you this week to the mission field and interrupts your perfectly orderly life? What if he does? Would you say amen to that? Three of you are willing to say amen to that. Praise the Lord. Would you be willing to say amen to the Lord if he comes and actually interrupts you this week? Yes, yes. I know it takes surrender. I know it's inconvenient. I know it's sacrificial. That's the whole point. Are you willing to be interrupted? Let me tell you a quick story. I was uh, having a dinner. This is when Margarita and I, my wife, we were engaged uh, way back. And so I invited her to come to eat at Crystal's. No, that's not a fancy restaurant. That is the burger joint, Crystal's. And so, don't judge me. We were planning for a wedding, and we were saving money. <laughs> we pray. I'm praying this prayer to impress my 
my fiance and I'm like, Lord, but I did pray this prayer for real. Lord, show us your will. Show us what you want to do with our lives. You know, we're thinking about the future and, and also prayed for the food. I usually pray for so many things before I pray for the food, but I still do it. Lord, help me. And I pray, and then we're done. And as we're done praying for our food, I open our eyes, and there's a guy in front of me, and he goes, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're like, okay. A guy out of nowhere. He says, may I sit with you? And I don't know, I, maybe I wouldn't do this today, but I did. I said, yes, you can sit down with us. He sits down with us, and we continue to have dinner. And he begins to talk to us about the Bible. He, he has a backpack. The only thing in his backpack is the Bible. He looks like what I would perceive to be a homeless person, but he is very clean, very clean. Long hair, silver hair, and he's talking to us. Look at the streets. You got to open your eyes. You got to see the lost. There's woman on the street. There's, and he started to describe the need of the street. I'm like, wow. And he started taking us to the scriptures about how we need to shift our eyes to the lost. And I'm like, as he's talking, something inside of me is burning. I'm like, this is not normal. So at the end of the dinner, we, you know, he said, would you give me a ride? I think I got to go to a Greyhound bus stop. I'm not sure. But we drove and we took him, gave him some money. He starts walking on the sidewalk, um, and I turned to tell my wife, I said, I bet you when we look back, he's going to disappear, because I heard about this kind of stuff, <laughs> right? Because it was that kind of incredible encounter. I tell her this, I look back, he disappeared, he's not there. I'm like, oh my gosh, was your heart burning? She's like, yes, mine was. And so we realized we had, we had a divine encounter that day. We had a divine encounter. I don't know if it was an angel, like the divine kind, or just an angel, a messenger, but that interruption transformed my lives. I don't think I've ever been able to see a homeless person the same. Every time I look at him, I'm like, are you Jesus? Like, like it changed my way of seeing people. And he gave me compassion in my life. And so be willing for the Lord to interrupt you. Those moments may transform your life forever. Can I get an amen on that? Third question, is the Lord calling you to go? Is the Lord calling you to go? It's not a coincidence, I think, when Jesus gets up from that prayer, he knows exactly where to go immediately after. Paul, Simon thinks they're going back to that revival they just had, but Jesus is like, no, no, no. We need to go to the other villages. I must preach there also. This is why I have come. Do you hear a sense of duty in those words? I don't know why that phrase, this is why I have come, it was recorded there. But I'm telling you, Simon didn't ask him, why are you here? Yet he answered that. It's almost like as he's getting up, probably tired, humanly speaking, still feeling interrupted. He's like, well, this is why I came. And he says that and he gets up. And redirects and goes to the other villages because he much preached there also. Is God calling you to go somewhere? And I mean somewhere in the mission field. If you're a member of Faith Assembly, there's a high likelihood that you may be called to the mission field. Yes, thank you for that one, amen. I appreciate that. God may be calling you to the mission field, and that's exciting. 
And we're going to help you get there too. Hallelujah. There's a high calling on Faith Assembly to be to go to the mission field. Forever we've been a giving church. Forever we've been a praying church. We've been moving to become a going church. A church that is mobilized to go. And so go, 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 go. Let's go. Jesus is going. Next year we're opening trips again. All right? We're by faith. We're doing it. You can sign up today. You can go to any of our Global Faith booths today around the campus and sign up for a trip. Like maybe you say, oh, but I'm not ready to go for a year. It's okay. Go for a week. Like do something. But don't just stay where God is good. See, he says, let's go. He doesn't say you go. See, our leader is our example. He's Jesus. He's first willing to do something before he tells me to do something. He first says, let's go before he says, go into all the world. When we go, we don't go alone. We go with him. He goes with us. Do not be afraid. Do not be intimidated by the mission field. If he invites you, he'll pay. If he invites you, he'll support you. He'll anoint you. He'll back you up. How do you think we do the crazy things we do in the field? How do you think we enter some of the craziest place on earth? We go in the authority and the name of Jesus, knowing that he goes with us. Hallelujah. Is he calling you to go somewhere? Last question. What am I doing for the other villages? What am I doing for the other villages? See, Simon is like, let's go back to Capernaum. And Jesus is like, we already preached in Capernaum. You see other people haven't heard. So he's shifting the focus. Today I have to tell you that the Lord is trying to get our attention. I know we're having issues in the United States. I know, I get it, I live here. But God is still asking, what about the other villages? I know we have people that we need to reach here in the U.S. That's actually part of the mandate. But he's still saying, what about the other villages? I know we have problems right here. Right here, maybe financial limitations. Maybe it's been a really tough year. He's still, Jesus is saying, what about the other villages? What about the other villages? What about them? We have first world problems. And he's like, yeah, that's great. What about the other villages? Let me tell you. About 50 years ago, there was a couple that attended an evangelical church and uh, they got, you know, radically saved and the Lord baptized them in the Holy Spirit and they actually, this couple, got kicked out of that church because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they went ahead and started meeting in their house. And a lot of people started coming to the house and so when the house was too big, they actually tried to figure out where they could go and so they bought a little corner lot where there was an old wooden house um, this was on a corner street in Guayania, Puerto Rico. They said that when the Holy Spirit would come down in that little wooden house, it was so strong and the house would shake so hard. The pastor would say, stop, 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 stop. The house is going to fall. <laughs> it was really old. And so about six years into that, guys, the Lord steers the heart of a church in Orlando, Florida. Because there's no limitations for the Lord. Because the Lord hears the prayers of people. Whether they are in Guania, Puerto Rico, Milwaukee, Tennessee. I don't care. The Lord's hearing his prayers. And he heard them. And so he sent a team down there. And so the first church that Faith Assembly ever built was in Guania, Puerto Rico. And Pastor Carl was a part of that team. And there's, reportedly there are pictures. And we're going to show you the story next week. Okay, we're going to show you a video. But 
Let me tell you, that trip, it was in 78, 42 years ago. I believe it was a few weeks from pastor, after pastor got married. So he gets married, and three weeks after, he goes on a two-week missions trip. That's the pastor that we have in this house, all right? Thank you, Pastor Alice, for lending him to us. But let me tell you, that church I visited last week, I went to see it. As I pull up in there, I see this incredible building. Like, all my hairs stood up. I'm like, wow, we built this? Faith Assembly built this? 42 years ago? This is awesome. It made me so proud of being a part of this church. Because we sowed. I bet you we even forgot about that, that building. We, we, it's, it's been years. But you want to know what's going on? God is moving in that building. This January 7th, Puerto Rico went through a really tough earthquake in that region. And many of the homes were destroyed in that area. You know what church did not get destroyed? Their church, Faith Assembly, built in Guayana, Puerto Rico. Because it was a good church, physically speaking. Also, it was built on a rock, literally. They had a really hard time trying to dug that thing out. But it was built on a rock in that corner. But anyway, that church, the pastor, Pastor Esther, a woman, she tells me, we've been ministering to people like you don't understand out of this facility. I said, tell me about that. She goes, well, when the, when the earthquake hit, everybody started running to the church because they lost their homes. I lost my home too. The pastor said, you think I had time to mourn? I had no time to mourn. My house was destroyed. Oh, well, we got to go feed the people. So they started telling the people, you can stay here. And so every single day, they would give 400 breakfasts, 400 lunches, and 400 dinners. For months and months and months. So I said, tell me about that church that Faith Assembly built. And the superintendent said, oh, that church? That's a church that's supplying food to the entire region of the southwest of, of Puerto Rico. That's a church that is helping and feeding that whole area. He said, you mean our church, the one we built? He says, yes, precisely that one. That's why we had to go down there to just capture that story. And so I know there is work to do here. But what about the other villages? What about the other villages? I'm going to ask my pastor to come as he continues. Give a hand to the Lord for his life. Praise God. Wow. We've got a great missions pastor and Pastor Marcos and does a great job. And has a huge, huge heart for missions. Well, I want to welcome the Red Bug Lake campus, the Michigan Street campus, and all of those of you online. I know you're still with us and have greatly enjoyed what you just heard. I come to you today not with an angel story, but I welcome all of you to join Alice and I at Crystal's after the service, all right? <laughs> I think we should all head there, just in case he shows up again. Make sure we pray for the will of God. All right, I was touched by that story, um, and uh, no doubt it was an angel. Thank God. Well, this week um, is an incredible week, incredible opportunity, and I believe a week that God is going to move us to another level. Um, as Pastor Marco stated, he's really, um, he's really nudged us the last many years toward even giving more. Uh, some years ago, and I, we set a goal to give a million dollars, and that year we accomplished that. And, and then we set goals to one day even give two million to missions. Why? 
because Christ loves the lost, and we want to do everything we can to win the lost, not only here in Orlando, but literally around the world. The sacrifice that God is calling our church to is a godly sacrifice. Let me give you the definition of sacrifice. It's an act of giving up something you value. We make no apologies about encouraging everyone who calls this their church home. Those of you online, all of you, everyone that calls this your church home. We make no apologies about encouraging you, prompting you, challenging you to do more financially to reach the world. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? I believe that. I don't know what period of time that amounts to, but I think we can accurately say we're living in the last days of time, of biblical history. And so uh, the time is short. As a result of the time being short, the devil is busy at work. So you and I, in view of the fact that time is short, we should be busy at work and doing everything possible and then some to reach our world for Christ. The act of giving up something, money, is of value to us, and we have to have it, but we gladly give it up for the sake of something else you consider more important or worthy. And so you and I choose, by the grace of God, as God blesses us to give a portion of what he's given us above our tithe to missions so that all those missionaries, those 840-plus missionaries that we support, they can stay on the field, uh, and then almost every week or so, we're adding others on. Why do we do that? Because it's hard to say no to someone who said yes to the will of God. And so that's what missionaries do. They say yes to the will of God. So how dare us ever say no to them? Years ago, I had a missionary, he wrote me, we weren't supporting him, and he, he writes in the letter, uh, Pastor, I have heard uh, uh, that all about your, the church there, I've heard how your, the church loves missions, uh, and he just went on and on and on, saying, other missionaries have told me to write to you, and you would support us, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, this rascal. All he's done is brag on us. How could I possibly say no to him and shatter that illusion? So as a result, of course, we added him on. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world, all of it. Preach the gospel to every person. Our church literally is almost doing that by having all those 846 missionaries go all over the world. They are literally spread out all over the world. And there are pockets that are still left. That's why we're going to keep picking up missionaries. Amen? All right. Well, I love missions, and I always have, uh, ever since I went to college and attended what was then First Assembly. It became Carpenter's Home Church. But the pastor had a great heart for missions and brought some incredible missionaries, just like we do, to our, that church. And I would hear their stories. 
and my heart would burn. And um, I began to experience something in my heart that God was doing, a love for missions. Then I came to this church, and the pastor had gone through the same college, same experience at the church in Lakeland. So he had a heart for missions, and he's the one that uh, was pastor at the time and, and said to our, our team of men and women also that went to Puerto Rico, and I led the spiritual aspect of the team, and another man led the building part of it, but uh, it was an incredible experience that we'll share more with you next week. And so as a result of loving missions, I, I thought I knew a lot about missions and missionaries, but I don't know. It must have been almost 20 years ago. We had um, Pastor Rob, Pastor Damien, come out of our church, off of staff, and uh, plan to go to the mission field because God had spoken to their hearts. And I saw something that astounded me. I didn't know a lot about missionaries as I thought I did. I saw these men and their wives and families begin to scale down what they had as personal belongings and get rid of things and go out and spend nearly two years calling on churches, calling on pastors, uh, going to a hundred churches or more and maybe getting 60 of them to respond. And I saw the, the challenges they faced in raising money with sometimes churches that hadn't caught the vision yet of reaching the world. And then at the end of the time, they had raised their money. And then I saw them do something that I'd never thought about. I saw them pack up their belongings, put things in a container. I saw them both sell their homes, take their families, their children, one head to Europe, the other one heading south toward Guatemala. And then realizing when they got there, they had to rent a home. Then they had to furnish it. They stayed three or four years, and then they had to get rid of the furnishings in most cases and leave the home, come back here, no place to live. I know Pastor Damon and Merla showed up with their kids, and he stayed. they stayed with his parents in a small home until they found something to rent. And then they had to furnish it. They were only going to be back for about a year, but they had to furnish it. And he had to start traveling, raising money, trying to talk pastors into letting him come, share his heart. She's setting up the house, getting utensils, and everything you have to have to operate a home for a year with children. And then I saw them at the end of that short period of time get rid of stuff, give away, sell stuff, leave that home, head back to their place of ministry and do it all over again, rent a place, furnish it. I'm beginning to see all this, plus leaving grandparents, leaving friends, family members, and I'm thinking these people are out of their minds. I, who in their right mind would do this? Go through all this effort. I'm thinking to myself, boy, you, you better know your call. 
And I'm like, Lord, please leave me here. Lord, please. God, I love Orlando. Don't, I hate to move. God, you know that. And, uh, and I'm seeing this, and I, I'm, in, I'm astounded. And really, they're not in their right mind. They're in the mind of Christ. Right? They, they have to be, or you wouldn't be able to do that. And uh, boy, as I saw more and more, and then I saw them, you know, even going through the struggles culturally and sometimes financially and, and all that went with it. And I just thought, my God and my Lord, we've got to do more for missions. We have got to encourage. Now, when I, we read about a missionary, them having a baby, we send them some money to help out. When we read if they're in the hospital or going through something, we send them the money. Pastor Marcos and I talking this morning about one of the missionary wives having cancer and going through chemo. And we both agree, we need to send them some money. Why can we do that? Because you love missions and you are sacrificing and giving. So we're able to help them. What an incredible blessing that is. This coming week, we're going to be asking everyone in this church, even the children in this church, to plan to give something on a monthly basis to missions. We're going to encourage you to do something by faith. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't have any extra money. Some of you may even be saying, I don't have any income. Well, I know that God can inspire you, give you wisdom to do things, even if it means selling something, even if it means cutting some yards or, or uh, getting rid of something that's been hanging around your house forever, set up a garage sale, and whatever it may be, to use you to do something incredible for reaching the world that is lost and dying without Christ. And so... It comes down to money, and it comes down to the heart. When it comes to money, you think, uh, what has that got to do with ministry? Listen, even Jesus needed money. He did crusades, him going from village to village with his disciples, and, and he needed money. He even had a treasure. I, not a very good one, Judas. I have no idea why he let him be the treasure, Okay. He knew he was taking money. I, I, don't, I can't even try to explain that. But it was for a divine purpose. Jesus needed money, and people gave him money. In one place, it said that many women helped. Many women went along and helped. And I read this verse, and I think, thank God for women. Thank God for women. Typically, they are more sensitive. I said typically, not always, but typically, they're more sensitive to the spirit and the emotional realm than uh, we men are. We men try to think too much with our mind. We're like, we take out the calculator. I'm sorry, honey, but we can't give another dime to missions. And she's like, oh, yes, we can. And so he's like, oh, no, we can't. And so I'm just telling you, man, let her win because she's going to win anyway. And so uh, years ago, we were at a missions banquet, and I felt like, Boy, we're gonna we're gonna give a couple more hundred dollars a month to missions, and, and uh, I I had my form and I filled it out, and then Alice, she had the audacity to fill out one too, as if we weren't doing the same thing. She fills it out and slips it over to me, so she can show me. It's like twice what I had down on mine. Now 
listen, woman, I'm the man of faith here. And so my attitude was, you're embarrassing me. We can't do that. And I'm like, I'm too embarrassed to say that, but I'm thinking it. And so she's like, yes, we can. Yes, we, we, it'll be okay. And I'm like, if Jesus comes, I mean, you know, they, he can, they can have all they want. But as I sat and looked at hers, I was too embarrassed to say, no, we're not going to do that. So I ripped mine up and took hers. And to, to this day, we were not able, we didn't miss it. God provided it. And uh, God is able when we don't think we are able. God is able. So, men, if she nudges you this week, uh, just go ahead and obey, all right? Philippians, Paul needed money. Now, even though he worked, he was a tent maker, but he also needed money. And he was in Philippi, raised up a church there. He actually did three missionary trips, and some even think possibly four, but he did three, and they lasted about 10 years, not all of them, or all of them combined together. Lasted about three years. Uh, a great church was Philippi, and uh, he wrote to the Philippians, and here is what he says in chapter four of Philippians. Now you, Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's where Philippi was in Macedonia, no church, look, look at that church, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. There was only one church that the great missionary Paul could get to support him, and that was Philippi. He didn't even ask them. They just willingly did it. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my, what, necessities. And as a result, why did they do that? Why did they, when Philip or Paul left uh, 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 Macedonia, why did they send money? Because Paul had brought the gospel to them in Philippi. He had led them to Christ. They had accepted Christ. Their heart was touched. Uh, and as a result, when Paul left to, to go to Corinth and preach the gospel, they were back at Philippi. They were in love with Jesus. Their heart had been touched, and they said, why don't we send an offering to Paul so that when he's in Corinth, he'll be able to minister and not have to work his hard building tents and will be able to do more and reach more people. And so they did. Now, things change. He's built up this church in Corinth, uh, even partially because of their giving. He's built up this church, and now the church in Israel, in Jerusalem, is in great need economically. And so he writes to the church at Corinth, and here is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you, look at it, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. In other words, other churches in Macedonia picked up the mantle and also sent money. That in a great trial of affliction, Oh, they, they lived through their own 2020. In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Wow. In other words, 
Those churches in Macedonia were going through a very difficult time, the church at Corinth, but they sent money anyway. And so now it's your time to send money to the church in Jerusalem. They're going through a difficult time. There are churches and people all over the world. We've sent teams to and missionaries are there. And people say, why are you here? Why are you here? Why would you come from America to our country? And their response is because Jesus loves you and Jesus touched my heart to leave America to sacrifice what I value for something I value more and to be able to tell these people, I value you more than I value even living in America with my family and friends and grandparents. I value the call of God on my life. How could we not be touched when we hear the stories coming back of souls saved? In a few days, a young couple out of our church are going back to do a crusade in Pakistan. Hundreds of thousands of people have been won to the Lord there through the crusades that you and I have helped them to have as long as, along with others also. Why do we do this? Because we understand something. The heartbeat of God is souls. Listen carefully, church. There at Redbug, Michigan Street, online. Listen carefully. You'll hear the heartbeat of God. Listen. It's a heartbeat for souls. What touches the heart of God? The lost. That's why the Father sent his Son, sacrificed the value of heaven to come to earth for all of us and for the millions and billions yet to know him. He came. His heart beats for souls. And when you're there on the mission field, like I was those two weeks in Puerto Rico, I can say genuinely I left a little part of my heart there in Guayana. Or in Belize, my very first trip in college, I left a little part of my heart in Belize. Or in Russia, Ukraine, and Bulgaria, and other places we've been able to go. And I know that every person that's ever gone on a missions trip would say, Pastor, I lost or I left a little part of my heart there. See, the heart beats of God. It beats for the souls of children. The heartbeat of God beats for the souls of those living in cities you don't even know the name of. The heart of God beats for Indonesia with the greatest Muslim population of any nation in the world. The heart of God beats for women and men living in affluence that don't even know they need God or crowded streets and places like 
Thailand and there in Bangkok where there are more motorcycles than you can imagine. Or places that are on the African continent with people that have never heard his name. The heart of God beats for the little babies and the mothers that don't know how they're going to take care of those babies. The heart of God beats for the people living on the beautiful islands of the world. The heart of God beats for those on those places and in those countries that we don't know of and we've never even heard of. But God knows exactly where they're at. He knows the number of the hairs on their head. He knows what they've been through and what they're about to go through. He knows the hundred million people around the world that have gone into poverty in the last eight months. He knows and his heart beats for them. And if you and I are going to walk with Christ, we're going to hear his heartbeat. And we're going to say, God, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to give sacrificially. We're going to pray. We're going to be a church. Like that church in Philippi. Without even asking, we're going to give. That's going to be a part of our hearts because, God, it's a part of yours. Bow your heads with us, please. Father, Father, thank you for sending your son to sacrifice his life for a people that ultimately rejected him. Your word says he came into his own and his own received him not. Lord Jesus, thank you for being willing to leave such a glorious place as heaven where angels worship you and bow down in honor and reverence to come to an earth where they spat on you, ridiculed you, cursed you, rejected you, and even called you a devil. And yet, you valued their soul so much, you let them hang, hang you on a cross and stand below, still mocking your name, ridicule. Lord, your heart beat for those below that cross as well as those nailed beside you. God, you look down through the centuries of time and for the joy that was set before you, you endured the agony of that sacrifice. God, this week, speak to our hearts. For those online, God, that may not be able yet to come back be in person, Lord, speak to their hearts this week about the lost, the dying. At the campuses, Lord, thank you for speaking to their, their hearts. 
Lord, thank you for helping them all to hear the heartbeat of God. Oh, my God. Help us, oh, Lord God. Help us to never lose sight of the harvest field. In Jesus' name. And while every head is bowed, Christians, you're praying, look, we're concerned about the lost in the far-flung corners of the world. We're concerned about them, but we're also concerned about the lost that may be right here in this building or online or at one of the campuses and there in the atrium. We're concerned about you also. So if you're listening and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you need God's forgiveness. You're lost. Your life is empty. There's a reason for that. Because it's only meant to be filled with God's presence. It'll always be empty. It doesn't matter what you try to dump in that, that vacuum, that empty space in your life. It doesn't matter. Only Christ will bring fulfillment there. And so, if you're in this building or there at the campuses, online, in the atrium, you need forgiveness. Why don't you right now just respond and let us pray for you. Would you lift your hand high? Would you do it now? Would you lift it up high? Across this building, you need Christ. Yes, others. You need Jesus. You need forgiveness. Others. Yes. Anyone else there listening, please just lift your hand up high. Do it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. Stand with us, please. Please stand with us. And I know we've gone a little too long. Please forgive us. But we're going to dismiss you in a few moments. But right now is so important because we're going to open these altars. I, let me say one more thing about the faith promises. I would encourage you, participate this week. Soak up what you hear. Let God speak to your heart. And wait till next weekend, even after the speaker, to respond as you just meditate in all that God is saying to you. So let me encourage you to do that. But right now, Pastor John is going to lead us in a chorus. And as he does, can I challenge those of you that raised your hand to make your way to this altar? Can I challenge those of you online, if you need Christ, to just pray and ask Christ to forgive you and to come into your life. We're there in the atrium. They're gonna, there's going to be someone to lead you. Pastor John, lead us. If you need prayer to give your life to Christ or you have some other need in your life, step out and come to this altar now, would you? Father, in the name of Jesus, my God and my Lord, have mercy, oh God. Have mercy, oh God. Have mercy, God. Lord Jesus, if you raise your hand, let me challenge you to come. Make your way to this altar. Anybody else from the risers, it's not too far to come. If you need forgiveness, you need to get right with God. Slip out and come. Let's pray. Jesus, my God. mercy, oh God. Altar team, quickly come. There's a lady right here in these prayer. Here's a lady right here in these prayer. Jesus, my Lord and my God, 
Pastor John is going to lead us right now in a prayer. Listen, these altars are still open. And uh, if you need personal prayer, quickly, even while he's praying and afterwards, you feel free to come. Would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place today. Thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts and even for this moment, God, where you've drawn us even a little closer to you, Father. I thank you for those that are reaching out to you for the first time to say that they need your, your love in their lives, your salvation, Lord God. I thank you that you are bringing that fully and totally even now and that not one person that has reached out to you, Lord, will leave the same, but that God will all leave changed in your presence and blessed with your great joy and your awesome peace. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as we all navigate this week to Come, that Lord you would continue to stir in our hearts what we've heard today that God you would continue to give us a passion for what your heart has passion for and that's for lost souls I pray in Jesus name that you'll be glorified in this week to come and that God uh, that you'll just give us all the testimony of your great goodness and grace we love you and we bless you in Jesus mighty name amen and amen God bless you church we love you so much if you're joining us online today and your heart has been touched and you give your life to Jesus Christ maybe for the first time, why don't you text the word SAVE to the number that's on your screen. And if you have a prayer request, you can call the number that's on your screen and someone will get to your prayer request as soon as possible. God bless you. And we hope to see you all again very soon. Have you ever uh, seen somebody buy something and said, wow, I'd never, I'd never spend that kind of money on that. It's not worth it. You've probably said it. I've said it. I know every parent has said it at some point in the aisles of the toy store at Walmart or Target. The question of worth is an evaluation of cost versus value. We look at something and we say, that's not worth it because the value isn't equal to the cost. That makes sense, right? The problem is, how do you determine value and who determines value? What is precious to me might be foolish or even useless to you. What you see as having great value to me might be a complete waste. Let me, let me demonstrate if I can. This is a $15 bar of chocolate. If you love chocolate and you're always on the lookout for a great original bar of chocolate, you might say, that's absolutely worth it. And some of you are saying, that's crazy. I can buy a Hershey's bar at the gas station for 79 cents, sometimes two for a dollar. Why would I ever spend $15 on a bar of chocolate? Parents and teenagers often disagree on worth when it comes to clothes. Parents want the, parents want the cheapest thing, right? Because you know you're, they're going to tear it up or outgrow it. And kids want the latest trends. The latest fashions of brands. I remember my son was about 15 or 16 years old. He walked into our living room and he said, Dad, I need $300 to go to the mall and get a new pair of jeans. I said, that's cute, son. It sounded like you just said you needed $300 for blue jeans. He said, well, Dad, they're the latest. They're Momotoro jeans from Japan. They cost $295 and I just found out they have my size in stock at the mall. And I said, son, you do not need $300 for a new pair of jeans. You might need some sense and a job. His mom overheard what we were talking about from the kitchen. She came in, she said, Adam, do you need jeans? I was at Sam's today. They have a whole big pile of them on clearance for $13. No pair of jeans is worth more than 50 bucks, right? This Mont Blanc pen was a gift from my sons a couple of years ago. It cost about $400 when they bought it for me. 
But it's worth much more than that to me. If you came up to me after service and said, I'll give you $400 for that pen, I wouldn't take it because I value it much more highly because of who gave it to me. And you might look at that and say, that's crazy. Your boys are nuts. No pen is worth more than $1.29. That's what I can buy a Bic for. Or I can come to church and get a free one out of the seat back in front of me. <laughs> this bottle of water costs $5. This cup of water is free, I know, because they keep filling it up every service for me. Isn't that nice? <laughs> but which has the most value? What's a, what's a bottle of water worth? Somebody say, I'd never buy a bottle of water. When I was a kid, we just drank out of the hose. You see, you make value decisions every day. You decide what something is worth. And two people see the exact same thing a different way and judge its worth based on cost and perceived value. And one looks at it and says, no way, never, not worth it, I'd never do that. The other decides, absolutely, every time, completely worth it. You might look at my golf clubs or my camera equipment and say, that's not worth it, I'd never spend that kind of money on golf clubs. And I might think the same thing about your purses or your shoes or your guns or your fishing equipment. It just got personal, didn't it? My question for you this morning is, what is Jesus worth to you? Today I want to look at a remarkable moment in the Bible where one guy, the Apostle Paul, faced that question, what is Jesus worth? The story is found in Acts chapter 20. Paul's nearing the end of his life in ministry, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Luke writes this. He says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Paul says, you know how I've lived. You've seen it. I've been an example. I've lived my life before you with integrity from day one. There's no reason to question me. My life stands for itself. Isn't that a great statement to make? Be a great statement for every pastor, every leader, every believer to be able to make. My life stands for itself. We should live in such a way that people say, I know that's not true about her because I've seen her life. The whole time she's been around me, she's lived with integrity. Wouldn't it be awesome if people could say that about you or your Facebook feed or your TikTok or your Instagram or your Snapchat or whatever is the latest thing, I can't keep up. Verse 19, Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. What's he saying? He's saying it hadn't been easy. There's been a lot of heartache. I've shed a lot of tears. There have been battles. I've been tested. And then verse 20, he says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly from house to house. Notice Paul didn't say, you know, I've only preached the things to you that you want to hear the things that make you happy. No, Paul said, I didn't hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful to you, even if it was a difficult truth, even if it wasn't what you wanted to hear. And as a pastor, I know how difficult that can be. It's tempting. It'd be so much easier to stick to the things that make people happy, to talk about being blessed and living the blessed life. And, and, and people just fill your inbox with, with emails saying, Pastor, that was such a great word. Thank you. I left so encouraged. And, and, and they enjoy hearing it. They leave feeling good about themselves and the world. And then there are those other things that you know you have to talk about. You know it has to be said, but you don't look forward to it. And people aren't going to send notes or emails. Well, they might, but not the kind that you want to read. Some of you are already a little uncomfortable this morning because we're talking about missions money and how much you're going to give to missions in the next year. People don't naturally respond with love when people are confronted or challenged, but that's part of the assignment of ministry. And Paul said, everything that would be helpful to you, I've preached. 
And then in verse 21, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could just rush right past this and not notice, but I want to remind you that this particular moment in the history of the nation's church, uh, it was not generally accepted that the gospel was for everyone. They didn't really believe necessarily that the Gentiles should receive Jesus. And so when Paul says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, it's a big deal. He is saying Jesus is for all people. He says, I've not compromised the essential message of the gospel, repentance and faith in Jesus. And if you're taking any notes this morning, I want you to write this down and not miss it. The good news is for everyone. This is my friend, Patty. Patty moved to our town, Bloomington, Indiana, in May of 2016. She came to church one Sunday because it was an assignment for one of her college classes to come and experience an American cultural experience. And so for her, going to church was an American cultural experience because no one she knew in her hometown of Beijing did that. So she came to church. And then she came again. And then she came again. And about the fourth Sunday, she was calling me Uncle David and coming over to our house for dinner in the evening. And And about the sixth Sunday, she came up to me after the message and she said, Uncle David, she said, every Sunday you use that book. She didn't even know what it was called. She said, you use that book up there. She said, is that important? I said, yeah, Patty, that's called a Bible. It's the word of God. And she said, could I have a word of God? And because of missions churches like Faith Assembly, I was able to go back to my office and in the closet of my office, I pulled out a vinyl covered green book, a word of God. And I walked out and I handed it to Patty and I wish you could have seen the look on her face when she cracked it open thinking that it was an English Bible like what I had been, uh, had been reading from on Sundays. But she cracked that book open and she looked and it was a study Bible printed in Chinese in her heart language, in the language that she dreams in. She was so excited. She said, I didn't even know that this book existed in my language. And so she started reading. Fast forward a couple of months to December of 2016. Students are getting ready to go home for the Christmas break. And I walked over to Patty. We were having a baptism service the next Sunday. And and I said, Patty, you think maybe you might want to follow the Lord in water baptism next Sunday? And she said, oh, no, Uncle David, I can't get baptized yet. And I thought maybe she was thinking she needed to go home and talk to her family and tell them what she had decided and all this. And, And she said, oh, no, I can't get baptized yet. I haven't finished reading the whole Bible yet. I explained to her it didn't really work that way, but if she felt better and wanted to read the whole Bible, I was all for it. Fast forward a few more months to April of 2017. April in Indiana is not like April in Florida. It's kind of cold outside. But I was sitting outside at a Chi Alpha service on Indiana University's campus with about 500 students. 17 of those students had signed up that night to get baptized. And one by one, they shared their testimony and they entered the waters of baptism following Jesus. And And I leaned over and I looked at Patty and I said, Patty, do you think maybe you want to get baptized tonight? This may be a great time for you. You know, you're following the Lord. You're in church every Sunday. You're involved in Chi Alpha. You're going to your core group. You know, do you think you might want to get baptized? She said, oh, no, Uncle David. She said, I want to get baptized, but I want to get baptized at the church on Sunday morning. And the sort of prideful pastoral part of me thought, well, that's kind of cool. She wants to come and get baptized at the church. Like that really is meaningful to me. And she said, and, and then she said, Pastor, I want to get I want to get baptized at the church because it's inside and you have heated water. <laughs> and that water's cold and it's April. And I said, Patty, that's probably not a good reason to wait to get baptized. And tears began to flow down my cheeks as Patty Wong stood up 
and began to walk down the aisle and she grabbed the microphone and she testified to her faith in Jesus and told everyone she had read the full counsel of the word of God and she was going to follow the Lord in water baptism. And that night she followed Jesus in water baptism. The good news is for Patty. The good news is for everyone. The scripture continues, verse 22, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul couldn't get away from this sense in his heart that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. He was unsure what was ahead. He, he couldn't ignore God's direction, though. He knew he had to go. He said, I don't know what will happen to me there, but in verse 23, he says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Now, for some of you, this challenge is what you believe about God. But remember, this is the Bible. I didn't make it up on the way here this morning from the hotel. Paul knew that obeying God was going to lead to difficult times. And you might look at that and say, hold on, Paul. I thought you said the Spirit was compelling you to go, and now you're saying the Spirit is warning you about prison and hardship. Which is it? Is the Spirit compelling you to go, or is the Spirit warning you? And here's what we expect next. We expect the next verse to say something like this. And you know what? After I was thinking about it, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want hardships. I, it couldn't have been God. I probably had a bad pizza or some sort of bad dream. And, and so I decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life right here with you, with the people I love, praying for you, and I'll stay and minister to you. You people are wonderful. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm not going to Jerusalem. They hate me there. They smell. It's crowded and busy. I don't want to go there. But that's not how Paul responded. Instead, listen to what he said in verse 24. However, even though hardship and prison awaits. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What a powerful statement. Paul is saying, I know bad things are ahead, but I must be obedient to God. I will obey even if it costs me my life. I will complete my assignment. It's more important than anything else. I don't know what's going to happen, but regardless, Paul says, Jesus is worth it. A South African missionary couple went to work amongst the Somalis in northern Kenya. They went to a town named Garissa where they lived and worked amongst the people, and after they were there several years, their baby, baby son was born. His name was Hendrik. Shortly after he was born, though, Hendrik de developed a mysterious illness he became sicker and sicker until he finally died at the age of two. Through a series of events, they discovered that Hendrik had been slowly poisoned to death by the people in the Somali community who were opposed to the church and wanted the missionaries gone. Their son was killed by people to whom they were called to minister. And at Hendrick's funeral, his father said to the Muslim leaders in the community, he said, you think we're going away, but we're not. Every time you walk by this grave, it will remind you that there is a father who loved you enough to let his son die here so you can know the love of Jesus. What is Jesus worth to me? What price am I willing to pay? Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And after that statement, Paul said a few more words to the crowd and told them, I know none of you will ever see me again. It was a farewell speech filled with emotion. The people knelt down and they prayed and they cried. 
And when they were done, Paul got up on the boat to leave, but that's not the end of the story. If you jump forward to Acts chapter 21, verse three, it says, we landed in Tyre where our ship was about to unload its cargo. Finding disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There it is again. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray and saying goodbye to each other. We went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Everyone knew what was going to happen, but Paul wouldn't be dissuaded. And once again, they knelt on the beach, and they prayed, and Paul got on a ship. Verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus. We were greeted by the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. Stop right there for just a minute. Have you noticed that every place they land in their ship, there are already believers, there are already followers of Jesus Christ? Why do we do what we're doing today? Why do we believe in global faith? Why do we believe in mission so much? It's because one day we want to see a place that anywhere on the planet, every plane, every ship, every car that pulls in, there are already believers there worshiping God. So as we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, this prophet took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. It was a pretty vivid picture. If you go, this is what's going to happen to you. They are going to lock you up, Paul. Nathan is a young man in our church when he was 21 years old. He felt God calling him to spend a year with one of our missionary teams in East Africa. I can't give you the specific location because it's a difficult place. As a matter of fact, in the 15 months before Nathan was there, there was a church that was bombed, another church that was set on fire. A Catholic priest was murdered by local Muslims. There were two young teenage girls who had gone there for a missions trip that had acid thrown on them, were horribly disfigured. It's a tough place. I'll never forget interviewing Nathan before he was to go spend a year with our team there. And, and, and I asked him, why? I said, why would you go to a place that you know bad things could happen? Why would you do that? And I'll never forget. He said, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? And everyone in the room knew the answer to that question. The worst thing that could happen to him is they could kill him. He said, they could kill me, but if they did that, I'd be in heaven with Jesus for all eternity, but if they do, they won't have that privilege unless someone is willing to go and tell them. And the room was silent, and Nathan said these words. He looked at me, and he said, Jesus is worth it. Verse 12, it says, when we heard this, we and the people were pleading with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Nothing would stop Paul Paul from finishing his God-given assignment. And once again, Paul made the decision, Jesus is worth it. How could he do that? How were those parents, Hendrick's parents, able to continue serving God in that place after losing their son? Now, I should probably tell you a little bit of the rest of the story. Nathan's not just some random 21-year-old kid from our church. Nathan is my oldest son. And people ask my wife and I, how could you take that kind of risk? How could you let him take that kind of a risk? Because Jesus is worth it.
You see, Jesus is worth it because Jesus decided you were worth it. Jesus' death on the cross was a value decision. God loves you so much, he values you so highly that he sent his son to die for you. Jesus thought you were worth dying for. He thought you were the $400 pen and the $15 bar of chocolate. When no one else saw any value in you, Jesus said, I'll give my life for that person. What's Jesus worth? When I was growing up in church, we used to sing a song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It's a great song. Not sure we meant it or lived it. Just like with chocolate and pens and jeans and water, you make value decisions every day about Jesus. What is Jesus worth? Now, I understand, not everybody will be called by God to serve in far off places amongst, amongst unreached people groups. But we do get to make a value decision concerning missions. Will we give so others can go? Is it worth it to us? Will I give so people can learn about Jesus and his love? Is it worth it? Or will I let another opportunity pass me by and make a decision? Nope, not worth it, not today. Sean and I have made giving to missions a, a, a priority in our lives, a top priority. At the end of the year, I look at my budget, and the only thing that we spend more on in our budget than missions is our mortgage. And I'm believing God that in the next three years, we're going to pass our mortgage and our missions giving to our home church. It's a priority for us. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. This is my friend Nick. Nick lives on an island that's 99.9% .9 Muslim. About a year ago, Nick got radically saved. He's since led several of his friends to Jesus, but it has come at an incredible personal cost to him. When he made the decision to follow Jesus, his wife made a decision that she was going to leave him, to separate from him. It cost him dearly. When I was there about a year ago, we prayed with him as he got on a boat to go to the mainland to share the good news about Jesus with his parents and with her parents, hoping that they would come to faith and he would be able to be reunited with his wife. As we prayed with him, he said, you need to understand that it would be legal for any of these parents to kill me when I share this news with them. He got on a boat and he went and shared the good news about Jesus. His mom and dad are on that journey. They're not there yet. Pray for Nick's parents. Just two weeks ago, I received word from Nick and our friends on the island that his 29-year-old wife had died unexpectedly. A couple of our missionary team members went and picked Nick up and brought him to their home and just spent hours with him weeping and praying and in the wake of this horrible loss, I can't even imagine, 29 years old. And they needed something that when I heard about it, I'll never forget the image etched in my mind. Nick, my friend, so new in his faith, he's only been a believer about 15 months. He got down on his knees and he lifted his hands and he began to pray to God in his heart language. He wasn't doing it for our missionary friends because several of them don't even speak that language. But he began to worship God as one of our team members feverishly wrote down the things that he was saying. And for over 10 minutes, he lifted his hands and he prays and worshiped God. And here's a few things that he said. He said, thank you, Jesus, for never leaving me. And then he said this. He said, you are worthy of every loss and hardship. He said, I don't understand, but I know somehow this is for your honor and your glory, Jesus. And for close to 10 minutes, he worshiped and praised Jesus for the honor of getting to live and serve him. Can you imagine how could you say that? There's only one way. Say it with me because Jesus is worth it. In the early 1860s, the Korean government rounded up 8,000 Christians and slaughtered them. 
1866, Robert J. Thomas, a missionary, carried 500 Bibles to Pyongyang in what is today known as North Korea aboard an American ship, the General Sherman. Thomas was able to travel on the military ship because he knew Korean and he volunteered to serve as a translator in exchange for transport to North Korea. As the ship approached Pyongyang, though, the Koreans believed the Americans had come for war, and after a period of tense back and forth negotiations, the ship hit a sandbar in the middle of the river and was stranded. And for two weeks, as the ship was stranded, the Koreans and the Americans exchanged gunfire back and forth. Finally, the Koreans got tired of it, so they lit one of their own boats on fire and sailed it toward the General Sherman, causing it to burst into flames. And people are abandoning ship right and left. And Thomas, who firmly believed that God had sent him to the Koreans to tell them about Jesus, now found himself caught on a burning ship in the middle of the river, in the middle of a war. He grabbed as many Bibles as he could and he jumped from the boat, carrying the Bibles with him. And it's kind of a funny image if you think about it. He's walking toward the shore and he realizes he might not make it. So he starts throwing the Bibles so that at least some of them will make it to shore. Once on shore, he's got one copy of the red-covered Bible left in his hands. He offered it to the first man who came at him. He yelled, Yesunim, Yesunim, which means Jesus, Jesus, in Korean, and he knelt down to pray. The man cut off Thomas's head with a sword, and at the age of 26, Robert J. Thomas died carrying the Bible to what is today known as North Korea. The man who killed Thomas is a Korean named Park. He was greatly affected by the incident. He had remorse over killing this man who seemed so innocent and so peaceful. For some reason, Park picked up that red-covered book and took it home with him. He wasn't sure what to do with it. He wasn't even sure what it was, but he loved the paper. So he began to tear out the pages and wallpaper his house with them. He tore out the pages and used it as wallpaper in his guest house. The man who killed the missionary covered his walls in Scripture. You remember that verse about God's Word doesn't return void? Surrounded by the word of God, Park began to read the message of scripture and soon made the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. People from all over Korea, people from all over Korea came to read the Bible passages on the walls of Park's home. Hundreds there in his guest house accepted Jesus. And out of that group, a a, a revival broke out in 1907, the great Pentecostal revival began in 1907. It's called the Great Pyongyang Revival. Became known as the Jerusalem of the East. Prayers of repentance swept across the Korean peninsula. People walked hundreds of miles to attend revival meetings. And many historians believe that more people attended those revivals than attended Azusa Street. Amazingly, even Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il, North Korea's former dictator, was exposed to the gospel as a result of this movement. His grandparents, so Kim Jong-un's great-grandparents, were active members of the church. His grandmother, Kong Bong-sok, was a Pentecostal Christian involved in ministry. By the late 1940s, over 3,000 churches were operating in Korea. All all of it started with one red-covered Bible, the pages pasted to the walls of the home of a Christian killer. It all started because Robert Thomas decided that no matter what the cost, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Real quickly, I wanna back up and go through the spiritual DNA of those few stories that I told you. Why was it possible for Patty to have a Bible? It was possible because somewhere 20 years ago in a service like this, someone gave $10 to buy a green-covered fire Bible so she could have a Bible in her heart language. 
Why was it possible for my son to go to the island? Because someone gave. Why was it possible for Nick to become a believer on an island that's 100% Muslim? Because someone supported missionaries. As a matter of fact, this church supports one of the missionaries that was in the room when Nick began praising God after his wife's death. The spiritual DNA of Robert Thomas's story, if you trace it back, why was he able to go? Because he went across the Midwest and the rural South and went from church to church in the early 1860s and people gave pennies and a few gave dollars so that he could buy 500 Bibles and take them to North Korea. You see, I can't promise you where the money you're gonna give today is gonna go, but I can promise you that thousands upon thousands of people are going to encounter the goodness of Jesus as a result of what you're about to do. And I can promise you this, if it costs you a dollar or if it costs you $100,000 today, I can promise you this, Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you because you decided we were worth it. When I was unlovely, when there was nothing desirable about me, Jesus, you decided I was worth it. I was worth whatever cost you had to pay at the cross. So thank you, thank you. And today, Jesus, we collectively respond by saying, Jesus, you are worth it. As we give and we go, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor, so very much for that word and challenge. That's absolutely awesome. And... Uh, to the Michigan Street Campus, Red Bug Lake Campus, those of you online, even those out in the atrium, give us about eight plus more minutes, please, and we would ask you please not to slip out. Let me tell you a little bit about the rest of the story that happened even when we went to Puerto Rico. Um, like we earlier said, we didn't get accomplished all that we wanted to, but the pastor that was there at the time, his wife was having severe throat issues and was losing her voice. I'm not sure the reasons why, but after we came back, a man that was on that trip went out to UCF, talked to the, some of the professors, doctors out there, and at that time, they were using a little gadget to help people to talk. Maybe you've seen someone use those. We flew her up here. They gave her one of those and showed her how to use it so she could talk. Years later, we heard that she was traveling not only in Puerto Rico, but in Central America and other places, doing crusades, church services, many people coming to Christ. The poster, I understood, said, come and hear the preacher, the woman preacher that cannot speak, preach the word and would draw multitudes of people as she led them to the Lord using that little thing to preach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith Assembly, today, we're going to do something vitally important. It's really one of the foundations, the main foundation of our church, spreading the gospel. Ushers, help us because many of you are going to be able to give electronically or not give, but uh, make a faith promise commitment on your phone or uh, computer or whatever you use. But some of you are not there. You still like the paper, all right? So we still have paper for you. And uh, so if you would like to make a faith promise commitment on one of these cards, the ushers are here to help you. 
just raise your hand as they wait, make their way back. And uh, ushers, just walk back, serve anyone that has their hand up. Make sure we don't miss anyone. We want everyone in this building to make some kind of monthly missions commitment. And then, for those of you, maybe you use your phone for just about everything, um, let me encourage you to go to the church app and um, hit the Faith Promise Card tab. Or, if you haven't signed up for the church app yet, all you have to do is text PROMISE, the word PROMISE, to the church's main number, 407-275-8790. So text PROMISE to 407-275-8790. And that will pull up the information electronically so that you can sign up. Now listen, I need to make sure you understand this because this is the first time we've ever done this before. And uh, the way our push pay has set it up, we're going to get them to change it hopefully next time. But the way they've set it up, you can only make a year commitment, all right? Now, you can go in and, and uh, program it to where you give monthly automatically, but the amount you put down is yearly if it's on a phone or computer. Um, on the card, it's weekly or monthly that you can make that commitment. I challenge you today because this right here represents... 846 missionaries we presently serve, send funds to every month. We want to add to that number. How many of you believe that's all right if we add more missionaries to the number? And um, it's hard to say no to people who have said yes to the will of God and said, I'll go and make a, what we consider a sacrifice. They leave family many times, grandparents, cousins, their church family, to go and spend several years before they come back, some of them. So let me challenge you today. Every month, we're going to ask you to give as a result of your commitment. Every month, we're going to send that money to the missionaries all over the world. And you know what they're going to do with it? They're going to buy gas. They're going to use some of it to do ministry Sometimes they even have to pay for education of their kids. And guess what? They have to eat also. So they buy groceries with it. Do you know what happens if we stop sending this money and other churches do? They have to make the decision. We may have to come home. We can't live over here if we don't have enough money to survive. So then they come home. Well, Faith Assembly, thank you. There at the campus churches, churches online, thank you. Because never in the history of this church, 40-plus years, have we ever missed a monthly commitment of sending these funds overseas. Never. Not one time. And by the grace of God, we are never going to miss, all right? So we're going to quickly pray. Take your card, fill it out. There's some uh, buckets at the doors, receptacles at the doors. You can drop these in. Please don't take them home. Pray and believe God to give you a word today. It's a faith promise. What does that mean? 
You put down what you believe God is saying and then say, Lord, it's by faith. If you provide it, I'm going to give it, all right? And uh, maybe it's outside of your realm of income as far as you think. Maybe God wants you to do something, sell something, uh, whatever. God will give you wisdom to make a monthly commitment and uh, meet it. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for every one of these dear people that are on a journey. A journey to be a blessing in the world. A journey to show your worth. And I give you praise for that. Bless them as they commit today, either electronically or through this card. Bless the campuses. Bless those online. I thank you for each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Uh, it's been said that missions is accomplished by the hands of those that give the knees of those that pray, and the feet of those who go. And so thank you, thank you for your generosity today. We'll give you two more opportunities for you to give because we are a given church. This week we are receiving the bags for Operation Christmas Smiles. These bags are around the building. If you are able to go around, you'll see Christmas wrap boxes. Grab one of these Ziploc bags. We'll be sending Christmas gifts to the refugee, Venezuelan children who are fleeing the country, are going to Colombia. We're going to be sending those in the name of Jesus to show the love of Christ to the children. Yes, praise the Lord for that one. Then we are going to be receiving now a missions offering because we do want to bless the missionaries that have been visiting, visiting us here this week. And so I'm going to go ahead and set a prayer. And why I'm going to ask you to go ahead and give so that we can bless the missionaries that are visiting us this week. Bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for the opportunity that we've had, Lord, to fill out these promises. Lord, we've done it with honor, integrity, commitment, excitement, and passion. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give to the children of Venezuela. And now, Father, thank you for the opportunity to just deposit and bless and, and sow into the lives of these families. Lord, I pray your church would give abundantly. Bless that you forgive us. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you, church, for your giving. Amen, Pastor. amen. Would you bow your heads with us, please, all over the building, there at the campuses, out in the atrium. Bow your head with us, please. We are tremendously concerned about the world, the lost, those who don't know Christ. But there are people that walk into this building almost every week, maybe every week, that don't know Christ, that are not walking with Christ. And so I want to challenge you today, if you're sitting here, even if you've been attending for a while, or maybe this is your first time there at the campus, your first time, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, the greatest thing you could do is not to give, as great as that is, the greatest thing you can do if you don't know Christ is to give your life to it, is to say yes to God's forgiveness, to get right with God. He has a plan for your life, a plan to do you good, a plan to use you, a plan to bless you. You think about a young Chinese girl in the, ending up in Indiana and finding Christ, or Nick, Muslim young man who someone shared the gospel with him, and he said yes. At some point in time, both of them, they were convicted, just like right now you're being convicted. And they said yes to God's love and God's forgiveness. 
and they repented. So across this building, I ask, and there at the campuses, I ask, if you don't know Christ, you need to get right with God, or maybe you're backslidden. You, you used to walk with God, but you've fallen away. And your Holy Spirit is calling you home. If that's you, either, either this is the first time or you're turning back to God, why don't you right now just slip your hand up across this building. Let me pray for you. Across this building, just slip your hand up high. God bless you and you. Others, quickly. God bless you. Anyone else? Others. Others. Yes, God bless you. Back over in the back. Anyone else? You're here. Why not say yes? God's dealing with your heart. Why not say yes? Why would you dare walk away from such love, such forgiveness? You need a change in your life, sir. There, Redbug, you need a change in your life. Someone at Michigan Street, God's dealing with your heart. Say yes to him. Anyone else? Anyone else? Stand with us, please, all over the building, please. Stand with us. I want to challenge you to do one more thing before you leave this building, and please give us just like a minute and more, two minutes. I want to challenge you if you raised your hand, and if, even if you didn't, Pastor John's going to lead us in a chorus, and as soon as he starts to lead us in this chorus, would you just slip into the aisle? People will let you out. They love to let you out. They were, they're believers, no doubt. And, and so I want to challenge you to come to this altar area. There'll be someone here to pray with you. And you can come. And we're not talking about coming and spending a long time. We're just talking about coming and getting our heart right with God. So they are in the atrium, the same. God bless you. But as he leads us... I want to challenge you to come, several of you, in the back and over here, over here, you raise your hand. And also, if you have another need in your life, feel free to come at this time. There'll be somebody here to pray with you. So make your way to this altar right now as he leads us. Jesus, my God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes. Holy Spirit of God, move. Holy Spirit of God, move. Touch those online. Touch those online, oh Lord God. Touch any out in that atrium, oh God. In Jesus' name. So slip out and come. You need Christ. You need to get right with God. You need to say yes to God. Make your way. Make your way to this altar. Let's pray today. Yes. Anybody else? Anyone else? Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Let me challenge you. Slip out and come. Make your way. Let's pray before you leave this building. Yes, one more time. One more time. There's somebody else God's dealing with. Someone else God's tugging at your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father God. Oh, my God. My God and my Lord. My God and my Lord. And Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Slip your hand in this direction, and please feel free to, to still come to this front. There's still time. Pastor John's going to close us in prayer. God bless you. There any more on the prayer team, quickly come. There's some to my right. 
He's going to lead us in prayer. God bless you. Pray with him, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much, God, for your presence in this place and for speaking to our hearts and even drawing us close to you in this moment. God, you've drawn those that have come to these altars. You've drawn those that are reaching out to you over our broadcast. Lord God, you've touched each and every one of our hearts, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you because we believe that you are saving, that you're healing, that you're delivering, that you're turning situations around, God. We believe that you're meeting the needs of your people emotionally, physically, Lord God, spiritually, even right now. And I pray in Jesus' name that when we all leave this time together, that not one of us would leave without having been uh, uh, affected by your glorious presence. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would all go into this week to come with your hope, with your joy, with your peace. And Lord God, with your heart as our focus, the heart that you have for the lost, the heart that you have for the broken and the hurting, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll give us your love overflowing, that we might show it to those that we come in contact with and that we would have a passion, Lord God, to see you minister to your people. We love you, Lord God, and we believe you for it. And thank you for a victorious week to come. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you so much. If you would like to uh, come to the altar and pray, these will remain open for you. Also, if you're joining us online and you'd like someone to pray over your prayer request, you can call the number that's on the screen and there will be somebody that will take your prayer request and make sure that it's prayed for. God bless you. We love you. We hope to see you again very soon. Bye-bye.